Welcome to the Indie Writer Podcast, where we talk all things writing and indie publishing. Today, we are going to talk with Julie Ann Lindsay, author of Cozy Mysteries and Romantic Suspense, and Danielle Haas, author of Romantic Suspense and Sweet Romance. Both of them have experience with applying for and receiving many awards. We will be talking about how to find those awards and make them work for you. And we'll be talking about romantic suspense as a genre and how it fits into the greater scheme of writing and publishing. I am so excited to have Danielle and Julie here with me today because they are my friends and I love them. And I'm just so excited to introduce them to our listeners. So how are you ladies both doing this evening? I'm doing great. Doing good over here. Awesome. It's it's funny because I can hear my kids like yelling outside the door and I'm just like, can I ever be left alone for five minutes? No. I thought with us having, all of us having kids and active family lives, we'll definitely talk about that at some point. But I'm just like, oh, we're not even a minute in and they're already starting <laughs> to yell outside my door. Okay. So we are going to talk a little bit about awards. I know that both of you have won a lot of awards and we had we recently had a podcast on awards with writing block that I have not actually listened to yet so it will be interesting for our listeners to compare and contrast both of those podcasts the awards that I've heard both of you talk about have most of them have been through different romance writing organizations is that right yeah that's true for me yeah absolutely RWA makes it really easy to apply because there's chapters of of um, Romance Writers of America across the country, probably around the world, right? And many of those chapters will have its own prize, its own contest every year. So I want I have won one award at least in college a couple times. I won awards, but I don't count them. The but recently, and it was through Mystery Writers of America, but it was my local chapter. So I guess I didn't realize with RWA that you can apply for awards from different chapters. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. All of the chapters really like to have as many people enter as possible. So most of the chapters will send out um, notices to the chapter presidents asking them to please tell all of their writers and all of their members about the different contests so they can have as many, many applicants as possible. Oh, that's cool. And Danielle, I remember that you won some when I went to the RWA Northeast Ohio chapter meeting. So is that something that Northeast Ohio does every year? Do you guys put those out to the general membership as well? Yeah, the uh, the Northeast Ohio um, Romance Writers chapter does one every year called the Cleveland Rocks Romance Contest. Okay. Yeah, and so we definitely blast out, out to as many people as possible. I've actually been a part on the opposite side of it, too, where I'm a contest coordinator usually every year. Okay. Um, and so it's interesting being on the other side of it, but we definitely make sure to get as many awesome judges, um, different editors and agents and things to read through and um, offer critiques to the finalists in each round. Oh, that's cool. So if you apply for the award, do you win a critique or how does that work? 
basically each person who applies, you send in, I think with the, with the Cleveland Rocks romance, I could be wrong. Um, it's, I, I didn't enter it this year, but you do the first, I don't know, however many pages, the first 10, 20 pages, and each person gets three judges. And in the first round, the judges are the membership. Um, so it's other writers within our organization who will critique it. And then the top three finalists, those entries go on to the next round. And that's when each each specific genre has agents and editors who sign up and will give you a critique on those pages. So even it's one of those things that even if you don't, if you don't win, the amount of wisdom and advice that you can get from industry professionals is just is invaluable a lot of times. That's awesome. I guess with my award that I won, I won it because I entered a critique program. And with Mystery Writers of America, you pay the $50 to the chapter and then you get a critique of your first three chapters. You know, by paying, you get that critique, but then you get automatically entered into the contest at that point too. So that really is a benefit is getting that, that knowledge from them. That it's it's a little different how you guys do it, but that sounds that sounds really cool. So when you apply to the other chapters, is it similar that you get a critique or you might get a critique or most of the contests that that I've entered have kind of gone that way. Like there's a first round that's usually from within the the chapter, and then a lot of times there will be outside agents or editors. So it's a really good opportunity, especially for new authors, just to get their work seen. And for that feedback and, you know, sometimes you might not even win, but the agent saw something in it and people wind up with agents or, you know. That's really cool. I was going to say editors too can request uh, full manuscripts. So same, even if you didn't win, but like there's one editor who was judging, who loved what you had out there, then they will request a full manuscript and that gives you potentially your foot in the door at, at at a publishing house. That's awesome. And then there are also awards that you've won after you've published books. Is that right? Yeah. I think all of my awards have come after I published. Do you just like search around for places that will take the books for the awards? Okay. So I started um, as a cozy author. And so I still consider myself kind of new to the romance genre. I've been around now maybe two and a half years. It really hasn't been long at all. My first romantic suspense just published in 2018. Okay. That was the same year um, that I went to my first RWA conference. And I didn't even know what it was before then, but my editor at Harlequin called to welcome me aboard and said, you know, if you have the money and time to go anywhere, I highly recommend this conference. And I didn't realize the national conference is like a very big deal. And so I went there almost a whole year before my book actually came out. And while I was there, I heard all of the women talking about these awards that they'd entered. A lot of times the contests go on during the year, but the chapter will choose to have the big reveal of the winners at a party during the conference. So by entering some of those contests, you get an, you know, if you're a finalist, you're automatically invited to a very classy little party at the national conference. And, Ooh. and it's a bigger deal than just the, I mean, not that the phone call or email isn't thrilling as heck, but I'm um, getting to dress up and go and have this little party and, and it's extra special, I guess, in a way. So once I realized that that was a thing, I started applying because, you know, I wanted that 
validation, I guess. No matter how long we're in the industry, we always feel kind of subpar. And so it it feels a little legitimizing to know your work was recognized by somebody. Yeah, I definitely felt that way when I won the Holton Award. I was like, somebody likes me, like <laughs> Kelly Field. <laughs> yes. And you just won a new one, right? Or did you just get the thing in the mail? I just, uh, it's my most recent win, but it did take about three or four weeks to get the award. It was, it's the biggest award I've won and it was called the National Reader's Choice Award. I won for the romantic suspense adventure category and they sent me a really nice, it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of like a plaque, but it's, it's self, you know, like it's freestanding. And then also they sent a plaque to my editor at Harlequin and they sent a certificate to my agent in California. That's wild. Yeah, it was a pretty big deal. <laughs> I'm pretty I'm so excited. That's awesome. Was it a specific book that won that award? It was one of my Harlequin intrigues. They're all for different intrigues. I, I've won, I don't know, quite a few awards in the last year. And I think they've almost all been for different books. So it's funny how uh, I won't even final with a book in one chapter's contest and then I'll win the whole deal in the next one. So don't give up. <laughs> Didn't you have two of them like competing against each other at one? Was it that the, was that the Daphne Award that there was two of yours in like the same <laughs> the same thing? Yes, I have been a double final. They let you send in more than one book for an award. And so I often will send in two if I've had two come out um during the time frame that's allowed, you know, and I've been a double finalist a number of times. That is so funny. It's like in the Oscars or maybe the Emmys. I don't, maybe it's the Emmys or, or the, all those little categories where it's like, you know, two different producers from the same movie or whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so when you have to send those in, I know that the writing block who hosts the Indie Writer podcast, we will be sending in a couple of our authors for the independent book publishing awards, which is the first time that I've ever done anything like that. And they, we have to send in a lot of stuff. I have to send like three copies of the book and like some application paperwork. You have to do a lot of stuff like that as well. It's, it seems almost more complicated than submitting things to agents and editors. <laughs> uh, most of the contests I've entered have just been send the books. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mine I've just had to, uh, it's just Word documents, you know, just kind of copy and paste. The same thing as what you'd send to an agent or an editor. Each okay, each one kind of has specific guidelines of how much or what your word count is that you can have. And I just have been able to email them, email them over. Okay. That's not too bad. I wondered if the words that people have to send in after they're published, if it's more work than it is for um, pre-published authors but it sounds like it's not that hard. So maybe I'm just overthinking it, which is entirely possible. And then usually there's a contest fee. Yes. So how do you decide which contests are worth the fee to enter? I know for me, because most of them that I, well, not most, all of them that I have applied for have always been pre-published. Um, it was based on the editors and the agents that would be the, the final judges, you know, which ones was I, was I, would I be interested in or would I hope that they would like it enough to request more from. So that's kind of how I've always 
picked and choose which ones because it gets expensive if you just do all of them. <laughs> it gets- and I imagine that most of our listeners do not just have money laying around that they can use to enter contests. Although you do, we can write them off as uh, career expenses. Absolutely. <laughs> I do that. And Julie, how do you decide which ones to go after? Well, I look at the size of the uh, the chapter. I look at who's won them in the past because that gives me an idea of who's entered them in the past. And I just try to gauge the weight of them, I guess. So if larger authors and best-selling authors are winning them, I think, you know, I don't know, it, it's, a, it's a tougher one. It carries more weight. I'm not sure the right way to say that, but I... I look for the ones that I think are going to matter to future editors that might be looking at a new series proposal that I'm putting out there or um, just something that would be a boon to my career. That's great. All of the, those are great ideas to just evaluate the awards that are out there for pre-published writers. There's a lot of sounds like good work that can come from just applying for them, at least doing your research about who is offering it, whether it's a chapter of a writing organization, or maybe it's a different kind of contest, but there's some sort of critique aspect involved. That seems like it would be a benefit to an author. Sometimes there's a monetary prize too. Yes. So you can weigh your costs and benefits. Is it worth it for me to spend the, you know, $25? But if I win, maybe it's another $500 that I can spend towards applying for more awards <laughs> or, or doing something else. Do you have any specific advice for writers about how much time to spend looking for these kinds of opportunities? I, I, if you're going with, like, I know for me, like you said, all of the ones I've, I've applied for are through Romance Writers of America. And so they make it really easy. Um, and so it, it was nothing I had to really devote a ton of time to because you just go on their website and they have a nice list of pretty much every everything that they're going to offer over the next few months. So I could sit down with my computer and I could say, okay, this month I have this opportunity, this opportunity, or this opportunity. And that was really about all the time it would, it would take, you know? <laughs> so if you have an organization like Romance Writers of America or, you know, whatever genre you're in, I'm sure that there's going to be a good resource for you that they will kind of lay it out in a way that you don't have to spend too much time looking into it. Yeah. For indie writers, Writing Block is a member of the International Book Publishing Association. And then there's also the Alliance of Independent Authors. And then of course, for mystery writers, Mystery Writers of America and Sisters in Crime. And there's SCBWI for Children's Book Writers, Horror Writers Association, Becky my friend talked a lot about that on one of our earlier podcasts. So if you listen to that, you learn all about horror writers and uh, science fiction writers. So there are a lot of different options. So what about, why don't we talk a little bit about like balance and how we balance tasks like applying for awards, maybe social media, things like that. How do you fit all of that into your day and how do you balance it with writing and drafting? I have yet to meet anyone who thinks they do a good job at that. 
(laughs) We're just all kind of winging it. And some days I'm social media heavy and some days I have an open Facebook, you know, because I've been writing or researching and, and some days I don't get to do any of it because the kids need my attention and they have to come first. So yeah. Yeah. If you're ever feeling bad, every writer is in your boat and we're all just treading water. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to stay afloat. Yeah. (laughs) I know for, for me, I try to, if I'm in the midst of writing a book, I try to have like a, a daily word count to, you know, I want to, this is, this is the minimum amount of words that I want to fit on my page. And that's my priority um, over going on social media or, you know, looking for contests or anything else on the business side of it is the writing, you know, that's my priority is getting the words down. So um, as long as I meet that minimum daily word count, then I don't feel bad about going into the other aspects of the business side. Um, or, you know, same, like, as Julie said, I've got two, two kids. So, you know, if they need some, they have Monday night dance night and soccer on Saturdays and everything else in between. So, um, those are things that I just kind of tell myself, like my priority is my family and making sure that their needs are met. And I try not to feel too guilty about that. I think she's smart. A daily word count is really important because there are so many things to distract writers and it's with everything vying for your time, you have to have a bottom line and and as important as building your audiences and interacting with them. If you don't have your book finished, I mean, what do you have? You have to put the writing first. Right. I think there's a lot of pressure on new authors and independent authors to get out there and sell, sell, sell. And if you don't have a book to sell, you don't have a, a product, what's the point of building your brand? I know. Have you guys heard this from a different authors that are way ahead of us on the food chain? I've heard a number of them say the best marketing tool, like the best thing you can do to sell your book is to write the next one. And I don't know about you guys, but I know like when I get sucked into the rest of it and I'm not putting those words down, like that's the fun part. You know, like that's the part that kind of makes me want to keep going is creating that story and getting to the next scene and the excitement of seeing where it's going to go. And if I'm not focused on that and I'm focusing on all this other stuff that I really can't control, it it puts me in a bad mind space that then turns into me not wanting to write the next day, you know? Yeah, I agree. I feel like there are days when my freelance stuff just starts to get so overwhelming that I'm like, I start to get a little temper tantrum-y, like, I don't want to do all this stuff. I just want to write. <laughs> but then there are other days when I'm just like, this book sucks and I hate it. Can I do something else? <laughs> what is your daily word count goal? Does it just depend on what you're doing? It's fluctuated. It's changed a lot. Um, before, it was always 500 words. Um, I want okay. I feel like that's something that I, even if I only have an hour or honestly, honestly, if I only have 30 minutes, I can sit down and I can write, I can do 500 words. You know, that's, it's a easy, not an easy, it's an attainable goal for me throughout my day. Mm-hmm. Um, but just recently my youngest started kindergarten. So I went from having, you know, one, at least one child in my house. I mean, he was in preschool before, but that's like t- two hours, three days a week where you can't hardly get anything done, you know? So now that I have both of my kids in school full time, 
my word count goal has definitely gone up. And it's amazing how much more I can write without kids constantly asking me for things. So. Oh, gosh, I hear you. <laughs> so I think now I've, I've upped it to at least 1,500 a day. And it's been um, kind of astounding to me to see that most days I hit the 1,500 and usually go above that. So it's been, been exciting for me. That is exciting. I have a 500 a day, but I also chunk it because I do work. Right now, I'm not working full-time because I'm partially furloughed, but I'm still working 30 hours a week. So on the days when I write, I, I'm minimum 500 a day for the whole week. So I have to make sure I write 2,500 words within the days that I'm not working, if that makes sense. Yeah. I like the idea of of doing a, like a weekly goal on top of that or, or a monthly goal even, because then if you do have a day where you don't, you don't hit that word count because this came up or that came up, you can still hit your weekly target by adding more on a different day or. And I like the 500 a day though, too, because it helps you kind of establish a writing habit. There's so many things that people say, you know, don't beat yourself up if you don't write. You're still a writer, but there comes a point where you have to write something. Like, I've had people in my writers group who are like, you know, I wrote this one 30 page story in 2004 and I haven't written anything since then. It's hard to make a career that way. <laughs> I know. And you, all these people have totally valid stories and lives, and they're all wonderful. I think it's just so important to make sure you do it. Now, you two are both in, you know, different points in your careers than I am, and that all of our listeners will be at different points in their careers. So I think for people who have product that they have to put out, like they have a deadline, they have an agent, they have a maybe a series that they're writing that they're publishing independently, they all have to have those deadlines worked out. Um, but for those who are just kind of ramping up, it's really good to have that that goal to start with. Yeah, this If you want to do it for a career, I think the sooner you get into the habit of making it, treating it like your career, the better. Yeah, but there is still, at least for me, there is still a joy in doing it. And that's part of the reason why I like the 2,500 words, because if I I make the goal and then I still have time left, I can just go for as long as I have time for. Starting out is always difficult for me. That's the hardest part, getting my mind around the world, the characters, the dynamic between them, and getting those things settled. Or in a series, having to do that balance of recap for new readers to the series while not boring old readers. Just no matter what I'm doing, those first three to five chapters are a little slower than the rest. We were just talking. I had a book group a couple days ago with the library, and we interviewed the author, Julie Clark, who wrote The Last Flight. She's the source books author, too. And she starts with a character and a situation. But I I don't think all of us plot that way. What kind of launches you into a book? Uh, for me, it's like I, I have that one. It's more of just an idea. It's not, it's um the I call it like a little a little nugget, a little kernel of an idea. And then once I can develop that into the beginning, if I have a beginning and end and kind of two or three plot points, I can 
just I'll just rush in and start writing without plotting, which is making Julie cringe right now. I know, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm trying to get better at that. I actually, with the book I just finished, I finally read um, "Save the Cat" writes a novel with the beat and going through and doing that. And for me, I loved it because it's like I it made me think about the plot in a, in a much different way than I ever have, and I was able to figure out you know, the percentages of my book and, and where my beats go in those big different plot points without plotting out every single step because I'm a pantser at heart. And I, I like that not knowing what's going to happen next and allowing my creativity to flow as I'm writing a little bit, but it kept me on track. Like it kind of let me be creative, but it kept me on track. So I think I'm going to try to do that for my future plans. <laughs> That's awesome. How about you, Julie? When when you go into something, what's kind of your MO? Right now, I've been writing the same two kind of things, the cozy mystery and then the romantic suspense specifically for Harlequin's intrigue line. And those two things um, are very templated. And I know that sounds absolutely horrible, but it's not. I mean, they're they're designed in a certain way to give readers who love the genre that same fulfilling experience over and over again. So the story needs to fit that format to create that experience for the reader. And I've done those things enough time now that they come pretty easily. But I'm an outliner. I'm definitely a plotter. So that's where Danielle and I are a little bit different too. So I plot everything absolutely to death until my outline can be read uh, as a series of bullet points start to finish. And I just make sure that that everything's lining up the way that it should. It's been a while since I've ventured into something completely new and had to put it together without that. But, And I'm jealous that you're able to do that. I'm, I, there are so many times I wish that I could sit down and just know what's going to happen. Or the, you know, when, I ha- when I take a chapter and I wing it and then I send it to my um, critique partner who pl- points out all the plot holes. Yeah. <laughs> like if only I had this plotted at first. <laughs> even though if you try to plot it beforehand it can still get messed up because I I have outlined every single one of my drafts and every single time there's plot holes there's problems there's motivation issues all those things the people read it and I'm like but I spent so much time plotting that <laughs> that it just didn't like it makes sense in my head. In my head, it makes perfect sense why this person would do this. If you do the outline right and you put in a whole bunch of specific stuff, then you it's kind of like a roadmap to get you through the whole thing. Yeah, I read my outline and all my details and my reasoning. I read it as if, you know, it's like the world's worst, you know, your worst enemy is reading it and looking for something to be wrong. And I try to cover everything so there can be no questions, but my critique partner still sometimes finds (laughs) finds things. I like that idea. I'm going to try that with my next outline. I'm going to make it so detailed that somebody could read it as if it was like a synopsis. The downside is you lose that kind of thrill that Danielle gets by just seeing it come together as it's like coming out of her fingers. Like I miss that feeling of you don't even know what's happening as you're typing it and it's coming together and you're like, yeah, that's what happened. (laughs) Well, at least you're not wasting a lot of time. 
Right. Right now where I am in my career is all about time. So it has to take precedence, I guess. So you give up. I mean, that's like with everything. You give up one thing for something else always. Yeah. But it's also one of those things with you too, Julie, where I think there is not like a formula, but there is a little bit like, you know, the layout of the books and how you, how to present them in a way that the readers love them. So if you, if you know how to do it that well, like why would you change it? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Right. We do love your books. I am mad at source books for not posting the advanced reader, the latest one. Gina, they, they told me I asked for, uh, this is about the time my next source book comes out. December 29th. And this is normally around the time that I'll get my box of just a few, maybe 10 advanced reader copies. And this is when I give them to, you know, people who've helped me with it or um, local reviewers. And they said that because of COVID, my book would have been in production for advanced readers back when everyone at that, at the printer was not in play, you know, everybody was off. So they just made um, digital arcs and that was That's it. That's interesting because they did not post the digital arc on Edelweiss. And oh, I great. checked, I was like, why is it not there? Like they published a galley of our friend, Amanda Flowers, latest cozy mystery. Like, gosh, I think I read it during COVID, like during lockdown. And I was like, okay, so Amanda's latest is here. Where is Julie's? Where's Julie's? Like, I've been checking every day. I wondered if maybe they were doing that because it is a well-established series and it maybe doesn't need as many reviews to be successful. Because which number is this that's coming out? Closely Harbored Secrets the um, with the ghost, the ghost pirate. <laughs> I can't wait to read this. It's a good one. I like this one. I will happily and gladly buy it. I don't want you to think I'm trying to take income away from you. Not at all. I was just thinking when this is over, I need to ask her if I can send her a copy. I want it. I want it. I want it. I'm actually like, I feel like I'm in a, I'm in a rut with cozy mysteries lately because all my favorite authors I'm caught up with. So. Oh, well, I need to fix that. I don't want to like take chances reading authors that I might not like. (laughs) So. We have a little bit of time left, so why don't we talk a little bit about uh, the romantic suspense genre and how both of you ended up writing romantic suspense books. Okay, for me, I was writing uh, Cozy Mystery, which I'm still writing, and I was just talking to my agent about how to kind of do more and branch out, and at the time, I was kind of newly published in the cozy mystery genre. So I wasn't in the same position I am now that we could have just nudged around publishers with ideas and, you know, tried to get something else worked up. I was too new and I didn't have a sales history or readership necessarily. And I tweeted about a Harlequin romantic suspense that I had downloaded from my Kindle to keep me busy while I was on the treadmill for free. So that, I mean, it was just happen chance. And I read it and I was like, This was really quick. It was a quick read. It was kind of fun. It was light and, you know, it was a lot like my cozy mysteries, except for the romance was heavy and the mystery was softer. So it was kind of like the last chapter of my cozy or the abduction chapter of my cozy. So that kind of tension level 
but all the way through and I got in romance all the way through. And something my cozy editors are always telling me is to lighten up on the romance. So it seemed like, you know, so I made a joke on Twitter about how I should be writing these because I could write that abduction scene for 200 and some pages and write all the romance I wanted. And, you know, we forget that people are watching when we say things into the void because usually no one says anything back to us. But that time my agent said, I can help you with that. And it was like, oh, she saw me. <laughs> saw me. I'm busted. But we talked about it on the phone and and she kind of guided me through it because it is specific what they're looking for. So she worked with me till we got something she thought Harlequin would pick up and they did. And, and that's that. They're really good to their authors. So once I was in, they've taken all the proposals I've made since then. That's awesome. And Danielle, your books for Harlequin, are they also in the intrigue line? No, my book with Harlequin's in the romantic suspense line. So they okay. are, I guess, similar to intrigue, except for they're longer. Um, okay. So there's just a little bit more room to have some secondary characters in there um, and a little bit more focus on like character development, that sort of thing. Okay. And it is a standalone. Yeah, that one is a standalone. So okay. I actually might have started out writing um, sweet contemporary romance and had an idea that I thought would be a good idea for a romantic suspense. And um, my critique partner at the time, she writes romantic suspense. And so she, you know, I told her the idea and she loved it. And I was a little bit nervous. I love to read suspense and mystery and thrillers, but I just didn't know if I'd be able to write it. And so she kind of she helped a lot with um, kind of helping me figure out how to do the pacing and the structure and um, getting the mystery and everything in there. So um, that once I started writing romantic suspense, I haven't, I haven't stopped and I haven't written contemporary romance since because every time I've gone back now to do the editing on my, um, my sweet ones, I'm like, Ugh, I just want to kill somebody and like, you know, you <laughs> know, <laughs> It does get kind of addictive, like, once you start adding in the suspense element to stories. I mean, I've written a ton of different genres, but once I started writing, like, adding in suspense elements, I just couldn't stop. It is fun. It is fun to throw in those twists and turns and the excitement. I tend to write, like, sometimes science fiction-y type things, but there's always some sort of suspense element in my ideas, just can't help it. So that's fun. I think there's probably a lot more that could be said about it, but that we don't have time for. But I think it is it is one of my favorite genres. And I, when I'm listening to cozy mysteries or reading a cozy mystery, I always wish there could be more romance. Like, I love the side romance that's in cozy mysteries. Me too. I know I'm finally going to try a self-publishing series and it's coming together now, but I always, I tell myself when I'm plotting it, I get to add more romance and no one can stop me. (laughs) I love it. I can't wait. And I think that indie writing is a place where you can really experiment with that stuff because you don't have to answer to an editor or an agent who wants something specifically for a certain market. And you can, and if it flops, it flops. The only person who's lost is you (laughs) because you spent the time on it. Right. Well, the glorious thing about self-publishing is if it's flopping for that reason, I can always take it down and curb those scenes and then pop it back up. (laughs) Right. You can do whatever you want. The world is your oyster. 
yeah, I'm pretty excited. Yes, it really is. I enjoy being an Indian hybrid writer. I think hybrid is like, it's perfect because it's the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. You can do what you want. But I also feel like you were saying before about the contest validated that I have an agent and that I have somebody who's championing my work. Yeah. But getting to do the indie stuff and working with the different authors and writing block is really rewarding too. So why don't we, as we are wrapping up, why don't each of you tell us a little bit about your writing and where our listeners can find you if they wanted to purchase your books or learn more about what you write, all that good stuff. Um, so for me, I, like you said, I write contemporary, a sweet contemporary romance. And right now I have a I have two books out in a series. It's a three book series, The Sheffields. Um, the first book came out last in November last year in 2019, um, A Place in This World. And then the second book in that series just came out last week, um, October 14th. And that's up so second time. Oh gosh, I think I mixed this up. Second time around is the first one. A Place in This World is the second one that just came out. And then I have a third one that's um, in editing right now called Coming Home that will be out next year. You can find, um, you can, you know, on anywhere online. Um, if you go to my website, I've got all the links up there, daniellemhaz.com. And then for my uh, romantic suspense, uh, as of now, I have two romantic suspense books out. I have uh, Bound by Danger and Girl Long Gone, and both of those are with Entangled Publishing. One came out last year and one came out this year. And hopefully in the next couple of years, I have six more coming out. Um, I have a lot kind of under contracts, but one with Harlequin and two more with Entangled that I'm kind of just waiting on edits and um, waiting to see when those will be released. So... Lots, lots to look forward to. Um, okay, so I write cozy mystery and romantic suspense. My cozy mystery, I don't even know where to begin. Let me let me rewind. I'm Julie Ann Lindsay, and I write cozy mysteries as myself. I write the cider shop mysteries for Kensington, and as Julie Chase, I have written the Kitty Couture Mysteries for Crooked Lane Books. I also write the Christmas Tree Farm Mysteries for Crooked Lane Books as Jacqueline Frost. And I am writing the Seaside Cafe Mysteries for Source Books. That series is written as Brie Baker. And then I also write the uh, Harlequin Intrigues. I write, I think I'm on my third mini-series with Harlequin Intrigue, and those are written also as Julie and Lindsay. So I've had, I think I have seven books between those different publishers coming out in 2020. Wow. I'm down to my last two. I had one, uh, an Intrigue release on the 29th of September. I've got one coming the 27th of this month. I think I get November off. And then in December, December 29th, maybe is my closely harbored secret says Brie Baker. And I think I'm slated for seven more next year between the different publishers. At some point we are going to have to do a cozy mystery show because we still haven't done that. We may have to revisit that one. Well, we are about finished and I would encourage all of 
our listeners to look up both Danielle and Julie. And I hope you had fun listening to us tonight.